Welcome to the next episode of the Radio Data Podcast. Today our guest is Kacper Łodzikowski, who lives in Poznan in Poland. Kacper is the Vice President of AI Learning Capabilities at Pearson, and Pearson is the world's leading learning company. We'll be talking about how data and AI is used at Pearson and also in the education industry in general. However, as always, let's start with the introduction. Kacper, could you please tell us more about yourself and your company? Sure. My name is Kacper Wojciechowski, and um, I'm the Vice President of AI Capabilities at Pearson. Pearson is the world's leading um, learning company. We serve 160 million users globally in nearly 200 countries. And at Pearson, I need a department that focuses on designing and developing of AI capabilities that help people learn and um, educators teach. And the work of our group focuses on natural language processing, on computational psychometrics, on human machine interaction, and on uh, ethical AI governance. And outside of Pearson, I'm also a researcher and lecturer uh, in AI at Adam Mickiewicz University in Poznan. And can you tell us more about interesting data and AI uh, functionalities that you provide in your product? Sure. Pearson is, is quite a large company. We do um, a lot of things. I'll just summarize it briefly for, for the listeners. Um, uh, I, I think there are two main um, sort of groups of capabilities um, that um, we provide that um, heavily rely on data when the role of um, data science and machine learning is crucial. So one group of those capabilities is for um, learners and the other group uh, is for uh, people who supervise learning. So these may be teachers, but also, for example, HR departments um, at companies that look after upskilling. Um, so let me maybe start with um, those capabilities for um, workforce analytics. Um, we have a platform at Pearson called um, Fathom that provides insights to organizations on the impact of emerging technologies, such as AI, on the economy. Um, so that platform um, um, uses machine learning to uh, predict, well, first to understand um, how the landscape of skills looks like. So we analyzed uh, over 20 million job ads to understand the taxonomy of skills. And, and then um, the platform um, includes separate um, sort of economic models that predict future skills gaps. So for example, if you're a company and you have you know, you, your company specializes in, for example, uh, retail, um, you have a certain a group of tasks and skills today, you have a group of workers, and we provide to you a model which predicts that, you know, for example, in the five years, which of these skills uh, may be automated, for example, because of AI, and how, you, how you'll need to reskill your people so that you're ready for the change and so that you can uh, retain your, your key talent. That's one example of, of what we do for the people who supervise um, um, teaching um, and uh, um, who look after um, learning programs. And then on the side of um, the actual learners, so the people who learn, uh, I think there are sort of three areas um, where um, AI is used at our company. One is computational psychometrics. So we have a suite of uh, models embedded across our products that based on 
how you learn in a digital product. Um, for example, how you complete homework assignments, uh, how you um, read uh, through uh, books or watch videos. These models will, will predict um, for, for you and for the teacher what your risk is of, for example, failing or passing uh, you know, uh, the upcoming uh, test so that you can um, uh, maybe seek one-on-one -on -one guidance from your instructor. So this is like a helpful sort of learner, learning analytics model. Um, a similar type of model that we provide in some of our products is a model that, again, based on uh, how you, how you um, go through the course of learning, how you uh, perform in homework activities, will recommend activities to you. So maybe you need uh, some stretch because uh, uh, you are, uh, you've demonstrated proficiency above your current level, or maybe you need some re remediation. Um, and in a in a big class, you know, the, the, in, a, in a in an online environment, uh, the teacher cannot always provide this sort of one one guidance to every learner. So this is a, this is one example of of uh, a model that can uh, automate this. Another field where we um, do a lot of work, and this may be something we can delve into more in a second, um, given all the interest in generative AI, um, is, is a lot of work around natural language processing uh, for helping to uh, assess people's um, um, hard skills and soft skills. Um, and I think you know, one of the uh, most interesting aspects or areas of that recently that we focused on recently was um, language learning and how these more traditional models, but also the new types of models can be used to diagnose, uh, but then also uh, teach uh, certain types of language skills. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate more uh, about this case? For instance, learning new language, because of course we can use chatbots uh, or some personalized way of learning, but you can also have like a video assistant like AI teacher who can actually analyze uh, how you learn, what is your speed of learning, what is your vocabulary, what is your interest, and you could have very personalized lessons uh, that might be even more efficient than traditional ones. That's a good intuition. And I think it'll be helpful to take a step back and really think about, uh, in terms of language learning, what humans are good at, versus what machines uh, are good at. You know, humans are natural users of language. So they can always provide this quick evaluation. They will pick up on uh, pragmatics. So for example, humor or irony, uh, and they are attuned to various types of errors. They can easily pick up errors um, um, in context. But the disadvantages of humans are um, the availability of humans. There are certain areas in the world where uh, there's a lack of um, trained language professionals. Um, the cost um, is another consideration. There are certain areas where people simply cannot afford uh, a language tutor. And, and, and also human-related factors such as uh, the speed uh, of, of, um, and, um, of, of assessing, uh, as well as certain uh, aspects of uh, bias and inconsistency of scoring. This is where you know, we, we want to do everything that's possible for language learning and use AI to kind of strip uh, that human bias out of assessment. And actually at Pearson, we've been pioneering the use of AI in automated assessment of speech and, and, and text um, for language and, and other soft skills for uh, almost three decades now. And this actually started in, in, um, you know, in, at, at the turn of the millennium 
with more traditional uh, machine learning models where uh, we would um, you know, design um, a particular test, for example, uh, that, is, that, is, uh, that aims to assess your proficiency in language, we would have uh, we would agree on the scoring rubrics for the test. So for example, this is you know how we understand good pronunciation versus suboptimal pronunciation and so on. And uh, we would actually go out into the field, collect data from uh, real life learners. And then we would have humans, trained professional subject matter experts um, who were trained on how to use those scoring rubrics. We would have them actually um, 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 label the data so that we can then train those machine learning models based on that. And then you know, what we would usually do is we would look at the correlation between uh, you know, the, the machine and the human. Um, and you know, what, you, what, we, what, we, what you can um, see currently in our products, you know, we offer a range of products, um, for example, the Pearson Test of English Academic, um, which, is, you know, which is a totally AI-based automated assessment of uh, spoken and, and written language accepted by various uh, countries around the world, such as Canada for immigration purposes. Uh, this, you know, we have models uh, that uh, um, very highly correlate uh, with uh, human um, uh, assessment. Um, and actually uh, the machine will more often agree with the human as to how, it, uh, how a given uh, person should be assessed than two humans will, will agree with each other. So that's kind of the, you know, the opportunity that we have um, to use um, AI in uh, language assessment. We can take the best aspects of, of, of humans, so how a human would score um, a response uh, in text or speech, and we can try to strip it out of the bias um, that, is, uh, that is unavoidable uh, when it comes to um, human assessment. Yeah, you, you mentioned a few very interesting topics, so I will uh, follow up uh, on them. First of all, uh, you mentioned that in central locations, the access to, uh, to teachers uh, might be very limited or very expensive. So, so, for instance, when I recently talked to one of my colleagues, uh, Henrik Landgren, uh, who is the co-founder and chief product technology officer at Arc Capital, uh, he told me this famous quote that uh, talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunities not. And this is why they are building the company that provides capital to entrepreneurs to give them more opportunities to, for instance, create and grow their companies. And when it comes to the education, there are also there are many talented and intelligent people living in countries where access to education is limited or very expensive. And uh, how AI or your products uh, will change access to education and what uh, opportunities it can bring to people. That's a very that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought it up. It's 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 one of our fundamental one of the fundamental fundamental aspects of our um, mission to provide affordable access to education worldwide. And AI um, has this um, potential uh, to help us put the um, to use your words the you know, the the digital human tutor uh, in the pockets of every learner. Uh, in the world, you know, only these days, the, the, the thing that you need is, is, is a smartphone, maybe an interconnection, and, and that's not always in, in all cases. Um, so the fact that these models um, are becoming cheaper, we can in some cases use pre-trained uh, models, 
Um, and the fact that we have at Pearson both a huge amount of data from from you know, collected over the the past decades of, of using data driven systems, uh, and we have the quality of our content because you know primarily we are a, um, a, a digital um, um, content provider. Um, um, we have expert authors in a variety of fields. Um, you know, not only language, uh, but also other disciplines such as biology or you know, uh, mathematics, for example, we publish some of the best you know, uh, textbooks uh, on certain topics, including, and you may be familiar, you know, we're, we're, um, we are uh, you're proud to be the, the publisher of um, you know, the, the leading textbook on AI, Rachel and Novik, um, um AI Modern Approach, now in its fourth edition. Um, so we can leverage all that and, and, and I'll try to distill that into um, applications that um, um, can uh, not only work in this institutional context, which I think is, is what many uh, um, um, educational companies focused on uh, over the past decades primarily, so materials or applications that help the teacher in the classroom in the sort of uh, standardized educational uh, context. And I, th and I think what we're seeing now in the broad education, and I think with AI in general across industries, is this move towards direct-to-consumer products. And, and what you mentioned about the, the digital human tutor, uh, which by the way, uh, if you look at our website a couple of months ago, we kind of teased an upcoming product, uh, which is exactly what you described. Uh, this is now the opportunity that we have uh, with those current generation of AI models. And so this will make the field more equal. Exactly, and, and I think, you know, Another trend we're seeing in education globally uh, is that people across the across the world um, are changing their approach to new education. They're developing those lifelong learning habits. So, so affordable access worldwide, that's one thing. Um, and, and equally important is, is to help people um, upskill and reskill um, after they've uh, you know they've left a traditional university you know, traditional uh, education uh, be it you know secondary or vocational or university education and you, know, you and i kind of touched upon this you know uh, before we started recording the podcast that um today's um companies uh, can be thought of in a way as an extension of universities because on the one hand people are looking to uh, for new opportunities to upskill and reskill get certified, get hired, you know, progress in their careers. And, and, and that progression is now extending. You know, we're talking about lifelong learning and lifelong careers. And on the other hand, companies around the world uh, are struggling uh, to hire uh, talent. There's this workforce skills gap in terms of new skills, especially uh, skills that um, now are starting to appear thanks to, for example, AI. Um, so that's the aspect of, 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 of you know, of rethinking educational at, at a couple of levels, you know, that we've now mentioned is something that we're particularly excited today because AI can, you know, it won't solve all the problems, but it can enable uh, the, the creation of solutions uh, for them. And can you see that in your uh, data or in your metrics that education and especially the, the use of your products is exploding in particular countries or particular regions? thanks to AI and providing more affordable access to education? I, I think that one thing that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic and then 
throughout the pandemic and, and, and then after the pandemic has ended was that this general stuff rise in online education. The pandemic was this catalyst uh, for the switch from traditionally analog or classroom-based environments towards digital or hybrid environments. And, and, and that trend has actually been continuing. So that's already a good sign that you no longer need to uh, go to a, to a physical classroom uh, to get your education. Uh, both uh, teachers and learners have um, learned how to operate in a more flexible environment, which lends itself uh, towards more equitable access. And you also gave a, an example of the retail company uh, that can learn about uh, the work that can be automated during the next few years, and also the way how they can retrain uh, their workers or how they can learn new skills to uh, have new, new jobs. And what are the most important skills that people uh, should have or should develop those days uh, to use those skills also in five years, let's say. And, uh, and in our case, our audience mainly consists of people who are interested in data and AI analytics, uh, technical people or more business-oriented people. And can you share like what, what skills you think our audience should look at? Okay, so thanks, thanks for asking that question. I think it's very pertinent. We recently published a report on our website. It's called the um, Skills Outlook um, Report, as far as I remember. And that touched upon this trend we're seeing in automation that's impacting certain text-based um, jobs, uh, such as programming, for example. So um, you and I and, and many people in our audience um, that today do manual coding, so that's probably going away. Uh, there's no return from um, the embedding of AI in certain productivity tools, be it uh, operating systems or uh, you know, uh, productivity uh, you know, text editors uh, suites or IDEs for coding. So there's going to be this expectation that um, the, top, uh, the top talent of the next five or 10 years those people um, will need to um, focus more on the soft skills. And in that report, we identified, for example, um, communication as, as, as one of the sort of top skills or collaborative uh, problem solving as another, as another sort of a top soft skill. So that's certainly a, a trend uh, that we've been observing for a couple of years now. And with the democratization of access to generative AI tools, uh, this trend is now also only going to uh, speed up. Mm -hmm. So it's also interesting that uh, your company can also use your own products uh, to know uh, how your team members, how your colleagues should work, what they should learn, how they should also adapt to uh, changes in the world. Uh, exactly, and we and we do eat our own dog food in terms of uh, you know uh, making sure we um, uh, use our, our own products, and and I think it's also interesting to. Take take a step back and look at the broader perspective as to how um, automation and, and, and technologies such as generative AI uh, are impacted are impacting the broader you know, economy and, and society. If we if we think about education, for example, it was really really interesting to see um, what the initial reaction uh, was late uh, you know, in the late twenty twenty and early twenty twenty three uh, to 
um, some of those um, generative AI tools, such as ChatGPT, for example. Um, the initial reaction was um, um, more of a ban. You know, certain schools um, banned the uh, use of ChatGPT, uh, and they had two main concerns. One was that students will cheat on homework, and another concern was that this kind of tool doesn't really help build critical thinking skills or problem-solving skills. And then what we saw over the course of um, the first and the second quarter of this year was that um, certain governmental bodies or you know, agencies um, came up with those um, recommendations for uh, how to start thinking about embracing AI with caution. So for example, um, in the UK, the Joint um, um, Council for Qualifications released uh, a brief that demystified AI um, for uh, teachers and, and assessors and provided some guidance as to how to implement, um, you know, how, how to, how to uh, start accepting the use of AI. And, and one example was um, that they accepted that, that AI is a tool just like any other tool, such as the internet, and can be used uh, uh, for good and for bad, and we should help um, teach students how to properly um, acknowledge the use of AI, uh, how not to misuse it, um, and then how to eventually um, evolve our thinking about certain types of skills that we're teaching at school. And, and this and this brings me to sort of the, this third wave of, of of reacting to generative AI, which we saw more recently. I really love the report that the US Department of Education um, published um, about the opportunities um, of AI and, and the uh, rethinking of the future of um, education. And that report was quite optimistic actually in terms of what the opportunities for the teachers to become more effective. For example, when it comes to essay grading, you know, I'm also a, a teacher still to, to this day. And uh, you know, I spent uh, many uh, evenings and weekends uh, grading students' work, and I'll be happy for for a system to automate that. Um, but also, the other opportunity is, is, for, is for us to actually, you know, um, not only personalize um, the approach to 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 how we how we help students learn, but also to rethink fundamentally which skills um, we should be teaching um, at schools and at universities. And and you know, there are things that. Um, um, humans uh, simply cannot do, um, and I'll give you one example. I, I, have, uh, I have a colleague, um, um, Peter Fultz, um, who is a researcher at, at um, University of Colorado um, uh, in Boulder, and, and they are working on training a, a, a system uh, that um, observes, you know, listens to students in the classroom and kind of coaches them on, um, on the collaborative problem solving. So we'd have groups of students, um, working in the classroom, you know, that's too much for a single teacher um, to uh, to uh, supervise. The teacher cannot uh, provide um, each every group with the feedback, but but a, but an AI can. It's it's totally scalable for a system, and in fact, um, this kind of open you know, this opens up this sort of new opportunity for us to start teaching two children those new 21st century skills, such as collaborative problem solving, such as communication, such as critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in fact, we are now starting to think as, as AI as yet another 
agent get another participant in the classroom ecosystem because you have the teacher who's the agent you have this student who is the agent you have other students who with whom uh, uh, the, the, the student can interact but also now you have the ai as an agent and that really opens up new opportunities for the skills we can actually teach uh, and that hasn't been possible up until recently so i i think that your students uh, are very lucky because it, you you mentioned that you are a lecturer at Adam Mickiewicz University in Poznań. So I'm sure that you are the person who is now during the summertime is thinking how to adapt uh, your lessons and how to create interesting exercises for your students who will join the academic year in October. But uh, based on your knowledge, uh, how many schools are actually thinking about that when it comes to primary schools, secondary schools, or universities where uh, non-IT specific lessons are learned? Do you think that uh, right now uh, schools and universities are working hard during the summertime to prepare for a new academic year, given the, given the fact that we have so, so many advancements in generative AI and the way of learning should, should change actually immediately? That is a very good question. So I actually speak to faculty, staff and educators very frequently, both in my uh, Pearson hat and with my uh, Adam Mitzkirch University hat. And, and I, uh, I noticed that um, all of them are really, really um, interested in the opportunities uh, that AI brings. Um, and they also need some guidance. Uh, and and the, guide, the primary reason for the guidance is the, the gap that we have to bridge between where we are today and where we want to go, what opportunities that we outlined you know, with AI being the agent in the classroom and helping the teacher, helping the learner, the, the digital human tutor in the pocket of every learner and so on. And you know, uh, the first thing that we can do is to help educate um, teachers uh, about the value of embracing AI and encouraging students to use AI. Like we said, AI is becoming 21st century digital literacy skill going to be embedded in every tool from Windows through Office, through uh, com computing uh, um, IDEs and, 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 and computing uh, environments. I had a colleague um, at, at uh, University of Notre Dame, John Berens, who recently um, published a, a work, a piece of work in which he stipulated that um, we are now moving into this era of first draft automation in which AI is, is used to write the first draft of a genre-specific material, such as a press release, job description, marketing material, legal document. Um, and that, that's a completely new way um, of, of uh, operating in, in the society and in an economy. So whatever we can do now to help um, educate learners across the system uh, that this is the new reality that they're going to face when they enter the job economy, uh, we should do that, whatever we can do. And there are some easy ways to do it. I, th I think the main, the, the main um, principle is to help students embrace uh, AI as a supplement to learning and not a replacement of learning. And that will kind of, I think initially will help to form some of the um, concerns around uh, unethical behavior. 
Um, we should clarify expectations about you know uh, ethics and compliance upfront, and we should look out for signs of misuse. Uh, but other than that, we should encourage students to use even those you know democratized free tools uh, to start um, and, you know, evolving their thinking about the, how the world uh, is going to look uh, in a couple of years. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. You know, one one thing we've been discussing. I, I recently um, 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 spoke at um, at a at a conference of um, six former colleges in the UK. And you know some of the things we discussed were uh, how they are already using um, um, those you know, free um, you know uh, commercial generative AI tools with their students, for example, to to help students check for understanding uh, of of a given topic. You know you cannot always call your teacher in the middle of the night if you need some help. Mm -hmm. um, another thing is you know, get contextual examples. Another thing is you know. Um, if you want to write an essay or don't have uh, the system write it for you, at least maybe uh, provide your ideas and, and, and get an outline and get a couple of versions of outline and then co-write with the systems. Mm -hmm. That's, that are some, these are some things that people can start doing already. Um, with my Pearson hat on, you know, we are already across our products embedding these types of systems as well, those generative AI systems. We actually have... You know, I mentioned writing. So for we already had a product uh, in the market called the Intelligent Essay Assessor, um, another product called Write to Learn, which actually have been sort of embedding those principles of co-writing with AI instead of relying on the AI to write things for you. You actually have this feedback loop with AI. When you write something and the AI gives you feedback, gives you comments, and teaches you how to express express your thoughts in writing. So that's kind of the direction in which um, I think we should be going. Yes, thank you. And you briefly mentioned that, but we can talk more specifically now. Uh, so what are the disadvantages or potential negative consequences or specific risks of using AI in the education? I think there are three main risks. One is... Um, the misuse of AI by uh, people who approach learning as an engineering problem and, and not a learning problem. And what I mean by that is with the proliferation of AI tools and with the democratized access to AI tools, pretty much anyone can now um, you know, program their own AI using natural language even uh, and try to use it. Um, What's been you know, differentiating us as a learning company um, is, is the fact that we've always approached learning um, with, with this, you know, through this learn of learning design principles. So what we know from science as to how people learn and how to best design learning experiences. And that's um, only when we kind of understand um, the learning problem through that lens um, is, is when we go and actually pick the technology because not always you know you don't always need uh, AI uh, to help and you know, someone learn effectively uh, or you don't always need generative AI for that matter uh, you can use uh, another type of a system so the, the, that first risk would be to just to misuse um, technology or, or use technology just, just for the sake of using it so over engineering the solution and actually not treating it as a, um, as a learning design problem. Another thing is the sort of inherent properties of um, some of the AI models we're seeing today, uh, which have been trained in vast data sets um, and, and 
due to those data sets and also due to um, the uh, sort of architectural properties of, of, of you know, transformer-based uh, neural networks, they can produce bias and, and misinformation. Um, and that's also something that we've been trying to mitigate because our piece we have the sort of, you know, privilege of, of owning uh, a, a large proprietary data set of uh, curated you know, uh, materials from authors, which allows us to make sure that whatever uh, our generative AI systems produces uh, actually is based on high quality inputs uh, so that we provide a, a trustworthy output for the learner. And this the third um, risk is ethical um, um, challenges. Um, so we maintain a very strong commitment to responsibility and ensuring um, thoughtful application of, of, of generative AI, uh, while also prioritizing the privacy and uh, security of user data. And I noticed that, um, especially with the, the startup entrance into the field, um, algorithmic transparency and also concern for data is, is, is often an afterthought. And especially for systems um, that are aimed at children at institutions, we should make sure we do everything that's possible to ensure these systems are safe and helpful. And uh, frankly, I gotta say, having played around with a lot of those systems, especially since uh, a lot of startups come to Pearson for financing and I have the opportunity to evaluate them, it's very, very easy uh, to uh, break them. And that's definitely something we don't wanna, you know, we don't want just your average you know, person from the street to be your um, child's teacher. So that's something we also take very, very seriously. Uh, but I see it as a risk throughout mm -hmm. education. Yes, absolutely. And also building advanced uh, data-driven or AI-driven products requires uh, to have powerful data platform with ML capabilities, maybe real-time streaming capabilities as well. Could you tell what type of technology stack do you use at Pearson? how your data platform looks like, what are the technologies that you use internally? Sure. So Pearson is a decentralized company where um, different teams use different tech stacks. Um, I lead one of the um, AI departments. Um, and in our case, we um, primarily rely on AWS, although we are not married to it. We also explore um, other cloud environments especially these days, um, given that uh, other, other companies, just Azure and Google also publish their own uh, interesting capabilities that we may wanna play around with and, and experiment. Uh, when it comes to uh, programming languages, I, I don't think I will surprise anyone saying that we'll use Python for most of our you know, NLP work. Uh, but also what may be interesting to some of the listeners is that for a lot of our um, um, production um, implementations, we use Go uh, because of its uh, performance. Um, and, and, and that's also has been an interesting um, challenge for us, um, um, how to balance the needs of um, data scientists and, and, and um, ML um, engineers, because um, the, um, uh, the latter write in Python, the former prefer Go. And, and in many cases, we have these cross-functional um, scrum teams uh, who have to negotiate um, you know, which particular um, aspects or, or at which particular stages we write uh, in one technology versus the other one. And you, you mentioned data, you know, we've been fortunate enough to, to be able to collect um, um, a lot of data through a lot of our systems. And, and that's uh, and one, one challenge was that it's often multimodal data. So it's you know, text, uh, it's speech, 
in some cases, um, for example, for our um, assessments, which um, are taken not at a test center, um, for example, some of your listeners may have taken one of our AWS you know, machine learning uh, certifications. They would go to a test center. Uh, they would take the tests there. But these days we also um, now um, offer online proctored assessments. So we also process a lot of video data uh, to make sure that the person who's taking the assessment is actually the person uh, you know, who's supposed to take the assessment and not someone else. And, and to see whether they are cheating or maybe trying to game the system. Um, so you know, one of the challenges we've had is, is, is working with various uh, data, data sets from various platforms, multi-model data sets, and also trying to connect that into a single profile because eventually you know, our goal is lifelong learning. So if you use one of our products in the classroom and then you use one of our products after hours, and then if you go to a test center and you use one of our products there, then we want, we want to make sure that we know who you are and that we can help you in your journey. And, and that's also that also writes a lot of work on the data engineering front where we've been we've been particularly happy with uh, Google Cloud and, and, and BigQuery and uh, also Snowflake for how we manage the data. Uh, but like I said, we're not married to any one provider, especially since uh, we, we often um, delegate the responsibility to pick the tech stack to uh, the team. And does it also mean that you use open source technologies because they can be cloud agnostic and you can use them at any cloud? Um, which examples um, do you have in mind? So for instance, technologies like Kafka, Flink, Spark, Airflow, DBT. Yeah, so when it comes to open source technologies, we've been happy with, with uh, Airflow for, for many years now. Uh, as well as Spark for for uh, a couple of cases, and also you know, one of the things we we because um, I mentioned Snowflake, um, you know, um, Databricks has also been one of those sort of uh, um, cloud agnostic providers uh, where we've used, for example, uh, MLflow um, for mm -hmm. uh, model tr um, training uh, tracking, which we've been very happy with, um, and and I, and I also noticed that you know, I think it's one of those trends in the. Uh, in, in the industry that whatever cloud um, you know, um, provider you use for the virtual machines, I guess you kind of tend to stick with, with those sort of you know, agnostic uh, providers or agnostic solutions. Before we conclude uh, the podcast, I would like to ask the final question about the most interesting challenges or the most interesting projects that you have in your backlog that you are focusing uh, this year or maybe during next uh, 12 months. Can you share that? Sure. I think you know, it won't come as a surprise that when one of the um, things we have been working on um, um, most recently has been this shift from supervised um, machine learning models towards um, using um, you know, some of those self-supervised general um, generative AI models. And uh, that's been uh, an interesting journey that, that um, uh, brought along a couple of different challenges that we are now working on to solve. One is the uh, um, explainability of those models. You know, even though some of the um, um, models that I mentioned for automated assessment of speech and language um, uh, are also neural net um, based, so they are not always totally explainable. But at least we control the data that we feed into those models. So at least uh, we can sort of audit uh, the uh, quality and performance of those models. But when we use pre-trained models, and we've been using, for example, BERT for, for many, many years now, 
for various purposes, uh, as well as some of the larger uh, language models these days. And you know, it, it, testing the reliability of um, the output of those models is uh, is a really interesting uh, field, um, as well as the sort of balance between fine tuning and instruction tuning and reinforcement learning from human feedback, uh, which we are now uh, experimenting with as well. Uh, you're finding that balance as to which particular um, scenarios a large language model is best used for. Uh, um, that, that's, I think, one of our current challenges, as well as the um, sort of upcoming um, regulations for AI. If you look at the draft um, um, EU AI Act, for example, you know, um, AI applications in education have been classified as high risk and uh, they will be heavily scrutinized uh, in terms of uh, explainability. Uh, and, and similarly, providers of large language models um, will be heavily scrutinized for whether they use uh, data for which they had uh, license. Um, so that you know, um, sort of, um, sets this challenge for us to really make sure that whatever technology we pick, we don't pick because it's cool to use. We pick it because it helps us solve the learning problem that we identified and meets the existing or upcoming challenges when it comes to data privacy, security, as well as ethical and algorithmic uh, fairness and, and compliance. So um, you know, regardless of which you know, products uh, this work uh, manifests in, and, and I you know, I've mentioned that one of our upcoming products, uh, which we already teased online, is this digital um, human tutor for English language learning that every learner will have it in its pocket uh, that will be able to uh, have a conversation with you, uh, but also um, um, provide feedback on your uh, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation. Uh, regardless of, of what the actual sort of customer facing feature is, a lot of our challenges revolve around the fundamental uh, decisions we you know, design and development decisions we make when it comes to really fundamentally what is the value of AI in education um, and uh, what the opportunities uh, and, and risks are. Yes, thank you. Thank you uh, for this answer. And also, I would like to thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. It was a fantastic uh, conversation, and I think uh, it's very useful to our audience. Thank you for having me. If you are interested in getting notifications about future podcast episodes, please subscribe to Radio Data Podcast on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. If you are interested in being an expert guest in one of our episodes, please find me on LinkedIn and send me a message. My name is Adam Kava and I work at Getting Data, which is a data consultancy company. If you would like to learn more about our data, analytics, AI, ML and cloud projects and our services, please visit us at gettingdata.com.